0: Today's reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. My name is Josh Habman. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace. This morning, we are continuing in our series called Receiving the King. And our message this morning is actually entitled Growing the Kingdom. Because while we have been talking about what Jesus is doing and how he is uh, the authority over all powers, natural and supernatural, and how he is God's son, how God has called him to this time, Uh, We are transitioning now in the book of Mark to Jesus deciding it is time now for him to grow his kingdom, for him to add numbers to that kingdom. And so we want to find out what that's all about. Because he thinks it's important, we should think it's important. And I have a quote up here this morning as we're starting from Rich Mullins. For those of you who don't know who Rich Mullins was, he was a Christian music artist, a singer, and a songwriter. And you have probably heard his songs even if you don't know his name. He died in the late 1990s. He was active primarily in the 80s and 90s. And he has a song that he sang uh, called Creed, and it is essentially the Apostles' Creed, and he goes through the whole thing, sings the song, and then there's a chorus. And in talking about what he believes about Jesus, about the gospel, he says, I did not make it, no, it is making me. And I want you to remember that line, I want you to think about that idea this morning With you and the gospel, what is your relationship with the gospel? Are you essentially trying to make it? Are you trying to make it happen in your own life? Or is this something that the Holy Spirit is doing in you to transform you to be somebody that you are not right now? Those are two very different perspectives, two very different approaches to the gospel. And I think it's going to be worthwhile for us to keep that in mind as we look at this parable, as we study what Jesus is teaching his disciples, what he's teaching us. So we're talking about growing the kingdom this morning, and we are talking about, there we go, uh, this parable of the sower. So we'll talk about the parable first. We'll get into this idea that there are ways of telling the truth, ways of sharing the truth that are... Guarding the truth, that are intentionally preserving what is being told, so that it's not treated poorly, and so that the choices that we make are confirmed. So we'll talk about the parable, uh, the sower. There's seeds, there's soil, there's all kinds of stuff going on. We'll unpack that. Uh, we'll talk about how God is sending out His word in the world. How's He? How He? How He's doing that? What is? What is He trying to accomplish in the way that He's doing that? <clears throat> what our response to the word looks like, and then the choice that we have. Uh, because of our response, it's going to lead to life or death. There are certain knowns in this world. One of them is taxes. The other is that I will bring up a life and death choice in one of my sermons. It's just the way it is. It's a very common saying. I'm sure you've heard it, right? Taxes and Pastor Josh and life and death. That just rolls off the tongue. This is something that we need to think about, though, because it's true. And some of us are intimately acquainted with our own mortality this morning because of a new disease diagnosis or because someone we love has died and some of us are trying as hard as we can to ignore the fact that we're mortal. But it doesn't matter if we ignore it or not, it's true. And we have a gift in the person of Jesus and we have a gift in his life and an everlasting life from him. So we want to talk about this morning, that's what our response leads to, it's life or death. Pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from you, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you go out into the world before us, that you live in such a way as to show us how we can live in this world, loving other people more than ourselves, giving our life so that others can live. Lord, this is true life. This is abundant life. I pray that we would remain in you this morning as we study your word and that uh, as you plant it in us, Lord, that we would let it take root and that we would be transformed, by the renewing of our minds Lord, by becoming one with your word, by becoming one with you. God, I pray that you would help us to see just what you would have us see in your word this morning. In your name, amen. So let's talk about this parable. Uh, this parable is about a sower, a person who's sharing the word of God. We don't get much detail about the sower in the parable, except that they are sowing seed. They're casting seed after the old style, right? This is before John Deere was around. So there's not uh, laser guided satellite guided precision, right? And planting. This is just a guy with a bag of seeds on his hip and he is walking and he is scattering the seed. So he is sharing the word of God faithfully. How do, how do we know it's faithful? Because it is going to everyone. He is not pre-selecting who gets the word of God, right? The sower is just sharing the word. Wherever he goes, whatever the soil happens to be, he's sharing the word. And the word, right, is planted in every possible place where it's likely to grow, where it's unlikely to grow, where there are weeds, where there are no weeds. The parable digs into, if you'll excuse the, the double meaning there, it digs into all these different possibilities. And so the parable is spoken to soils, to different people who will receive the word differently. And they're immediately given a choice. If you can understand, the hearers are immediately given a choice. If you can understand this parable, great. Accept it. Do something with it. But if you can't, you should just kind of go. You should be on your way. And that seems kind of hard. We're going to talk about why that's hard and why it is that Jesus says it this way. But this is the way he lays it out. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear this. Let him receive this word. If you don't have ears to hear it, go be on your way. So this is the parable. Why a parable? Well, a parable is a story. It's a way of talking about something that is designed kind of like a metaphor, right? Where it's, I'm going to compare one thing to another. I'm going to try to help you to understand a complex concept by telling you in the form of a story. And yet also, yeah, also there's some other things going on here. There are ways in which by telling these truths in the form of a story, the hearers are forced to do something that they wouldn't otherwise. They're asked to treat the word differently than they would otherwise. If you tell somebody to do something or not to do something, then they're just responding probably to the command. And Jesus says, we've done that many times. We'll talk about where he's done that. We've done that many times. You haven't responded well. So let me try this way. Let me try it like this with a story. I'm going to tell you a story instead. So the story is sent out in parables in part because he wants to guard the truth. Like I said, when we receive the word, when we receive a command, we treat it one way. And often in scripture, we've seen that the people who are called by God, God's people, have treated the commands, they've treated the words from the Lord poorly. There's a, another uh, another piece of wisdom from Jesus in scripture where he says, he instructs his disciples not to cast their pearls before swine, where they should not right take good things and put them in front of people who are going to mistreat them. And this is what he's doing in part with the parables. He knows that the people, specifically the people of Israel, God's people, the ones who are called by his name, have not treated the truth well over time. Going all the way back to Abraham, they have received the word. We get lots of uh, descriptions in the old Testament of prophets receiving the word of God. And God says to them, say this To Israel, and they say, Thus says the Lord. Here's what God says, very directly, very straightforward. And the people have rejected it again and again and again. And so Jesus says, All right, we're going to do it differently. I'm going to come, I'm going to be the Word, I'm going to demonstrate for you all what this means to live like this. I'm going to show you, and also, I'm going to guard the Word. I'm not going to say, Thus saith the Lord anymore. I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to tell you some parables. So we get both in Matthew 13 and in Mark 4, this same parable, and the descriptions of why Jesus does what he does are a little different. Here in Matthew 13, he says, or the the scripture says, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That sounds kind of harsh, right? Sounds kind of hard. Why would Jesus treat all people like that? Well, he's not treating all people like that. He is treating the people around him like that. Context is important when we read scripture, and we have to know in this time, Jesus is talking to his disciples about how they preach to the nation of Israel. Yes, there are people who are not from Israel who are coming and they are listening. But Jesus is very clear when he sends out his disciples. He says, I want you to go first to the nation of Israel. And then after Jesus has died and resurrected, he says, and then I want you to go right to the ends of the earth. And so what he is talking about right here is the people who should know already who God is and what God is doing. And he's saying those people who should know who God is and what God is doing They have rejected my message again and again and again. So they have, but what they have is going to be taken away because they have mistreated it. I want to guard the truth. We have given them the truth over and over and over again, and they are not responding well. So we want to guard the truth. We want people to hear the truth and do the right thing with it. He goes on. He also wants to confirm our choice. This is what it looks like in Mark. So I just read you the Matthew version. Here's what it looks like in Mark, and we read this already this morning. When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Again, it sounds really harsh. Why is Jesus talking this way? I thought Jesus loved us. I thought Jesus died for us. Why would he say things that seem to suggest that he doesn't want people to turn and be healed? If you take that verse out of context, if you just read that verse, that's exactly what it sounds like, that Jesus does not want us to turn and be healed. So we have to understand the whole book. Don't read any one line from any book and try to interpret the book that way. It's foolishness. But this is a temptation when we approach scripture. We hear a thing that we don't like and we're like, "Ah, I don't like that. I guess I don't like the whole book. Understand what Jesus is actually saying here. He is saying, for those outside, everything is in parables. Who are the people who are outside? He's talking about the people who have chosen to ignore the truth. The people who have decided, I don't want that. Again, he's talking to the people of Israel, the people who have received generations and generations of truth, of the word of God, of prophets coming to them and saying, thus saith the Lord. And they've said, no, we don't want that. And so they have chosen to be outside. And he quotes Isaiah. So I'm going to turn over to Isaiah. If you have a Bible, you want to follow me there. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. because this is what Jesus quotes and he is using this passage to tell his disciples here's how the word is going to go forth in my ministry right he says i'm going to be sharing it in parables and the people who have chosen me the people who are listening they're going to get it and the people who have not chosen me they're not going to get it jesus has high expectations for the people of israel and especially especially the teachers Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, these people were literally memorizing the word of God. Many of them, many of the people who were learned in that day were still illiterate. They couldn't read, but they would memorize the scripture back and forth with teachers their whole life, right? To understand the word of God. And so these people knew the word of God and Jesus had a high expectation for them. He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, you're the teacher of Israel. You should know these things because Jesus knew that Nicodemus had read the Scripture, or at least he had memorized the Scripture. So Jesus has a high expectation for these things because these things, this truth, has been communicated for hundreds and hundreds of years. So here's uh, Isaiah chapter six. So here's the quote comes um, specifically here, uh, starting in verse nine. It says. And he said, go and say to this people, so this is the Lord or the angel of the Lord speaking to Isaiah, verses 9 and 10, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That is the word of God to Isaiah after Isaiah has done something very significant. Isaiah has been brought into the throne room. He is seeing a vision of God on his throne and he is completely overwhelmed. And his response is the right response. And it's the one that Jesus has in mind. It's the one that Jesus is hoping for, right? He's desiring from all of us, not hoping, wishing, but desiring for all of us. And Isaiah's response in chapter six is to say, woe to me, I repent I have been headed in the wrong direction. I need you, Lord. I need you to sanctify me. I need you to cleanse me. And God says, you know what? You're right. And he takes a coal from his his altar and he places it on Isaiah's lips and he sanctifies him and he cleanses him. And that signals that Isaiah is ready to stand before the Lord and speak for the Lord. So even though, even though, We see here in Isaiah, we see again in Matthew and Mark, this this idea that God wants to guard the truth and that God wants to confirm this choice that we're making. We also see that God is always making a way for us back to him. He is always making a way. Notice what it says here, the italicized portion of chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 11 in Mark. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Who's the you there? It's his apostles, it's his disciples who are gathered around him. But it's also you. It's also us. And here's why. Because both Matthew and Mark record Jesus' words. Both Matthew and Mark give testimony to the fact that the secret of the kingdom has been given so that we can understand. So understand this. Jesus uses parables in his time and with the people around him because he wants to guard the truth because those people have been rejecting the truth and dragging it through the mud. They're literally going to kill Jesus, right? They have taken the truth and they've said, no, we're going to crucify that. And yet Jesus says, I still want to make a way back to me. And that is repent and believe. You can have this, this secret to the kingdom. This is the thing which angels have been longing to look into, the gospel, which says that if you confess your sins and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you can have everlasting life. And so that's the secret of the kingdom. That's what's been given to the disciples, that even though God has given them the word and they've rejected it, they can still have everlasting life by turning around. That's what repent means. It means turn around means if you are walking constantly into death to stop it, to turn around and go the other way. means if you are constantly choosing alcohol instead of your family to turn around and go the other way. It means if you're constantly choosing to abuse your family with your words and with your body, to stop it, to turn around and go the other way. You can say, I don't have the power to do that. And you're right, you don't. Which is why Jesus offers his life that's the power of the gospel. And that's the secret that he's giving them. That even though the truth needs to be guarded, even though we don't want to treat it poorly, there is still hope. There is still everlasting life. So it has been given to you. And how do I know it's been given to you? Because you're here today. Because you have the opportunity to hear the word. And I can't save you. Nobody here can save any one of the other people sitting next to them. But you have the chance. You are hearing the gospel today. You have the opportunity to repent and believe. If that's something that you want, you can make that choice to respond in the right way. I am just sowing the seeds. And you also can sow the seeds. You can seek the Lord. The disciples are not content with confusion, right? They go to Jesus and they say, tell us, what does this mean? Do the same thing. If you have read these parables, or you've heard me, heard Isaiah read this parable this morning, you're like, what on earth? Why? I understand some of these things, Jesus. I don't understand this thing. Go to him and ask. And if you don't know how to pray, you don't feel like I I can do that, then come to one of us. Come to one of the pastors. Come to one of the volunteers on staff here. Ask us these questions, but don't be content with confusion. Ask. And be a good gardener. Turn up the soil of your heart. We're going to expand on the, uh, on the parable as we go, but the parable is talking about the word coming to different types of soils, different conditions where you have different things going on in your hearts and lives. I don't know all of your lives. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where your soil is, but I know that every soil needs to be cared for if it's going to house seeds and if those seeds are going to grow and they're going to produce So turn up the soil of your heart and plant the seed of the word deep in your heart. Understand that the goal here is for you to become indistinguishable from the plant. If you're the soil and the word of God is the seed, you should see those things to come together and you can't tell one from the other anymore. When you look at a field of corn, right? Nobody, nobody says, Hey, look, there is a field with corn in it. Right nobody uses language that way. Nobody says there's a field of dirt that also happens to have soybeans planted in it. You say there's a soybean field or there's a cornfield because when the plants mature, the plants in the field become indistinguishable from one another. They become the same thing. And we want the word of God to do that in our hearts and in our lives. We want to be indistinguishable from the gospel. People look at us and say, that's Jesus working. So we need to protect it from rocks and heat and weeds. Because the other choice, right, the other choice, the other response is to neglect both the seeds and the soil, to neglect the word of God, to neglect our hearts, to just act like it doesn't matter. Anybody wake up with a pain they couldn't explain this morning? Anybody trying real hard to ignore it? Just maybe if I just pretend it's not there, it'll go away. Anybody have an annoying person in their life that they're doing the same thing with? that they happen to, you know, be related to. Just maybe they'll go away. It doesn't work. We know from experience, we know from our daily lives that we cannot ignore trouble and it will just go away. And death is the same way, believe it or not. We cannot ignore it and expect it to go away. Our response is going to lead to life or death. In the parable some plants produce a hundred times over. You've been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Do you see fruit in your life? Do you see the word of God reproducing? Do you see the things that are planted in you growing to maturity or not? Jesus says, this is what it's supposed to look like. When you receive the word of God, it goes down deep. It produces a harvest. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Not everybody's going to look the same. Not all of you are called to be evangelists, right? Not all of you are called to go out and talk to people that you've not known before and share the gospel in a very direct way like I'm doing it. Some of you are just called to share your story. And your stories vary widely, but if you follow Jesus, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of examples that you could share about how God has impacted your life. I've shared here uh, from this pulpit before about how God impacted my life when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer and then he brought her through that diagnosis and how she is healthy now, right? Praise be to God because he provided that. That's a testimony that I can share, that I have shared, that I will continue to share. My nephew who just turned 18, uh, I got the chance to talk to him a couple weeks ago. Brilliant. Happy, energetic, hardworking young man born without a corpus callosum, without the connective tissue between his left and right hemispheres in his brain. All kinds of possible things that could happen in that situation, right? Wide, wide possibility of circumstances that could result from that diagnosis. And he's healthy and he's happy. And he's a wonderful young man that I'm so excited to call part of my family. That's God at work in his life. And God is at work in your lives in many ways. My sister, his mom, my nephew's mom, my younger sister was diagnosed with breast cancer last January. I shared that with you. A number of you have asked me about it over the year. She had preventative surgeries, double mastectomy, full hysterectomy, 40 years old, but now she's cancer-free. Praise the Lord. And also, God gave her a full-time job this fall, which she did not have prior to cancer. So God is doing these things. These are productions in my life that I have nothing to do with. I didn't heal my daughter from cancer. right? I didn't create opportunities for my nephew, for him to grow and develop. I'm just faithfully sharing with you what God has done in my life, what I've seen him do. And you can do the same thing. And some of you are called to be evangelists. Some of you are great at sharing the word of God with strangers. Keep it up. And some of you can just faithfully bear witness to what God is doing. Notice in the parable, and like I said, we're going to get into it, we're going to talk more about the parable before we end, but notice that some plants die. They're choked out. And that's the word of God not having a home, not having a place to grow. So understand that your response is leading to life or to death. Producing fruit doesn't have to look like you doing all the work because it's always God doing it in us. But not producing fruit... There is something here that has to do with our response. Are are our soils hospitable? Are we devoted to the seed? Are we bringing it in? Are we giving it a place to grow? Are we nourishing it or not? And then this is just a reminder. This is not the main point of the sermon, but I just want to draw your attention to the fact that some plants are weeds. This is a different parable. If you read on in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 13, there's a number of parables listed just like in Mark chapter 4. Mark and Matthew are writing similar accounts of Jesus' gospel. It's likely that Matthew has read Mark's account and he's using some of that material as he forms him as he's writing. But Matthew includes a different parable than is included in Mark, and it is this. Jesus says that there was this man uh, who had planted a field and some weeds grew up among the wheat. And his servants went and said, Lord, there's a bunch of, a bunch of weeds in your wheat field and the master of the land, right? He says, he says leave them. Don't tear them out. Because what happens is if you tear out those weeds, you're going to damage the wheat. That's going to be a problem. Don't do that. Just let them be there. And so they do. And he says, but here's what's going to happen. At harvest time, right? Those weeds are going to be plucked out and they're going to be burned. They're going to be destroyed. And the lesson from that parable is that sometimes... Sometimes people will look like we, they'll look like they have the Word of God planted in their life, but they don't. They might appear healthy, but they are going to be plucked up and burned. And this is just a reminder here to tell you that this is not about looking like, appearing to be a follower of Jesus. This is not about appearing to have your soil turned up and appearing to have the Word planted. This isn't about coming to church. This is about whether or not your life has been given over to Christ, whether or not you are wholly his and he is wholly inside of you and growing and producing fruit. So this is just a reminder that this isn't about the appearance of the thing, whether you're here this morning, right? Physically present or you're online or wherever you happen to be, you're listening to a podcast. Know that, know that. This secret is being given to you today. The secret which has been laid bare, which has been revealed, which is that Jesus is dying and rising again and giving us hope for everlasting life. So what are we going to do with that? Let's look at how Jesus unpacks this. Let's spend a minute here. Jesus says to them, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. Brooks said last week that Satan is not a name. It's, right, it's, not, it's not his first name or last name. It's his title. Satan means accuser. So understand here, when you receive the word of God, it is likely you should expect that the accuser will come and make you feel guilty for all of the things that you've done wrong. You should expect to feel guilt. You should expect to feel shame because that's a primary tactic of the enemy. Here's how he wants to destroy the truth in you. He wants to accuse you of doing the things that you've done. And he's good at it. It's his job. He's good at it. And what happens, what happens are, the Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. They forget the word of God. They reject the word of God. And as a result, the plant dies. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. Rocky soil is not able to take in the roots. Rocky soil is going to have nothing for the roots to hold on to. Wind is going to come. It's going to move the rocks. Water is going to come. It's going to wash them away. Here's what happens. They have no root in themselves, endure for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. You all have access to the word of God today. You might be hearing this thought, this idea that God has come to you. He's offered you his son. He's offered you salvation. You might think that sounds amazing. I would like that. But unless you let that word go deep, unless you take your own soil and you turn it up and you say, I want to make this a hospitable place for God. Here's the reality. You are going to be set, beset with troubles. It will happen. There will be things in this world, tribulation, just trial, trouble, persecution on account of the word. People are going to come and they're going to say to you, are you really a Christian? Do you really believe what Christians believe? And you'll be like, I don't think so because I don't like that persecution. Right? It can be as simple as that. And then there are those who are the ones sown among thorns. So this is the word of God coming to people and their soil is perhaps turned up their their soil is prepared they're taking in the word of God the root is growing they hear the word but then the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful notice that these are not people necessarily who have rejected God these are not people necessarily who have said I don't believe the truth they might have accepted the truth and brought it into their heart but they're allowing the things of this world to stifle productivity, to stifle fruitfulness, to keep the word of God from blossoming. And this can be very minor things. This can just be fear of our fellow man, right? Cares for other things is a broad category, but basically it means that you care more about the things of this world than you care about life, everlasting life. And so you're choosing those things. You're choosing to look good socially. You're choosing to not be afraid. You're, you're choosing whatever it is, right? That helps you to avoid this conflict, this persecution. And that's, that's what you're choosing. The deceitfulness of riches. Jesus is very clear about wealth. Wealth is not the problem, right? Money itself is not the problem. But the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, he says. And it is deceitful. Riches promise what they cannot provide. Right? Riches promise everything. If you just have money, if you just have financial stability, if you just have enough money, you'll be fine. But it's never enough. There is no amount that is enough. You will always want more. And it is deceitful. And it will keep you from being productive for the gospel. It will keep you from growing the kingdom. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Are you going to make your heart a home for the word of God? Are you going to make your heart a place that's hospitable to the gospel? Jesus is doing the work. Jesus is sowing the seed. Jesus is dying and rising again. All we have to do is repent and believe. And then if we want to grow the kingdom with him, we just have to keep our soil turned up. We have to reject the fear of man, reject the fear of this world, reject the deceitfulness of riches. Say, we don't need those things. Reject the accusations of the accuser by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that you can do by yourself, and it's not something that you should try and do alone. The Holy Spirit wants to empower the entire body of Christ to work together, and you are all the body of Christ if you have repented and believed. So the power in doing this with one another is that you help each other be productive. You help each other grow the kingdom. Will you let the seed and the soil become one? Remember I said that you don't don't look at a field and distinguish it from the plant that's grown in it when the plant has taken root when it's producing because the plant and the soil are one. When the word of God goes into you and it is drawing from you, right, what God has given you, the gifts that he's given you, the abilities, the relationships, that's going to be evident in the fruit that's produced. You're all going to produce different kinds of fruit because he's created you to be different kinds of plants. But he wants all of you for the kingdom. So you're going to do that Are you willing to take the good news and allow it to remake you like Rich Mullen said? Right? Is it making you or are you making it? Are you going to make the gospel into what you want it to be? Are you going to make it into your own personal spiritual life preserver and say, I've got the gospel for salvation and I'm good and I'm done. Just over here in my own lane, stay out of my lane, that's it. That is the person who is choked out with weeds. Right? They care about too many other things. But We don't want to seek death. None of us wants to seek death. So understand that that is the path towards seeking death. The way that seems right to us, the way that remakes the gospel in our image is the way that leads to death. But we can choose life. God is constantly offering this to his people. And even when he says things like, I'm going to tell the word in parables because they might turn and be healed. He also says but I'm also going to send my son. I'm going to send my son and he's going to die and he's going to give them the opportunity to believe in him and have everlasting life. If you're here today, if you're listening today, that's you. You have that opportunity for everlasting life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what this means. To have our hearts ready to receive your word. Lord, show us what it means to be in prayer, to be walking in your truth, to be fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters. Show us what it means to live lives, Lord, where we're ready to receive your word and grow and produce what you've called us to produce, not remaking your words in our own image, Lord, but constantly giving ourselves over to you that your word might go forth, that your kingdom might grow, that your will might be done. Lord, I pray all of these things in your name. Amen.